media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 9 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 9, if you were with us last week. Um, you know, I, uh, let me start by this. You know, about six weeks ago, I said, we came to a passage in Nehemiah, and I said, you know, I almost kind of apologized for the word that morning, and then I repented, and at the end of the service, I said, you know, why would we ever say that that wasn't exciting or applicable to our lives? Um, can I go on the other direction today and say if there's a lesson that we need to really learn from Nehemiah, I believe that we find it in chapter 7, 8, and 9. Uh, certainly all of it is applicable to our lives, and yet what we find here this morning as we begin to truly comprehend the importance of being constantly in God's Word is that it's not to check off a box. It's not to say, okay, God looks down and we had our quiet time, and so God gives us a, a star for the day. No, it truly is because that is how God transforms this mind and this heart to the ways that are foreign to me. And so this morning as we get in here, we have kind of, a, this is the second part of what we began to see last week is the people came together and they began to open God's word. And remember that uh, it said that uh, there was over 42,000 of them and they wanted to listen to God's word and they wanted to listen to the extent that they were willing to to possibly even stand for six hours. Certainly they were involved with six hours of the hearing of God's word and discussing it and applying it to their lives. And we saw this in the last chapter, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6. It said, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. In other words, Amen is our word for saying, Yes, this is truth. And so they hear the word of God, and then they respond to the word of God saying, This is truth. And folks, this is what God gives us the ability to do. That through His Spirit, through His Word, that we, the people of God, can not only say, you know, that sounds kind of interesting, or that's a, that's a peculiar way of looking at it, that we can respond to the truth of God's Word with our very souls, with our mouths, and certainly with our minds, but, but with our very souls and say, Amen, Amen. Has God ever hit you with that truth when you've just been reading? Maybe you just open up the Bible in the morning or, or sometime during the day and you're just kind of casual about it. You know, you were going through and you're trying to be very much, uh, you know, a person of the word. And, and all of a sudden God just struck you with the truthfulness of something. And sometimes it was to encourage you. Other times it was to, uh, to inform you of something that's wrong in your life. And you just looked and you said, amen, amen. This is truth. I acknowledge it as truth. Well, God gives us that ability. And so they heard the word of God, and then they that caused them to bow and worship. That's what we were seeing in chapter 8. And then they began to weep. But if you remember, Ezra and Nehemiah, the two spiritual leaders of the day, said, stop weeping. You know, okay, if God calls them to weep because of their sin, why, why would they tell them to stop? He said, it's actually time to celebrate. And so instead of, you know, just weeping in this worship, he said, I want you to see a cycle here that as we come and we confess to the Lord and we understand our sinfulness and his holiness 
He said, we should rejoice. And do you remember what he, they told him to do? They said, go eat fat. In other words, go eat the things you're not supposed to eat. You know, the things that actually taste good. You know, that's what he said. Go do that and celebrate. And as they were looking at the word of God, I want you to understand that they opened it up and they read about this feast that they used to have. Feast of the Tabernacles. Have you ever heard of that? The Feast of the Tabernacles? And they read about that, but you know that they had not practiced that as a people since the days of Joshua? I mean, it had been generations and generations and generations, and they certainly didn't celebrate it in these 70 years of captivity, but now they're coming back together. They build this wall around Jerusalem. Now they're establishing their homes, and they look into the Word of God, and they hear the Word of God, and they go, okay, we're going to celebrate this old feast. This, this is something of God. And so the word of God directed them. And so for seven days, guys, they begin to feast together. They begin to celebrate together. Look what it says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 18. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So they celebrate for seven days, and then all of a sudden they come back, and we're going to see kind of a change in tone. Now, one of the things that we discussed last week that I want you to make sure that you understand is that nothing in our lives can replace the power of the Word of God. It's the Word of God because it is God's words to us and His commands, His instructions to us. And so when I... Look at the Bible. I'm not worshiping the Bible. It leads me to the author of the Bible, okay? So I'm not worshiping the Bible. I'm worshiping the God who gave us this word. But it's truth, and it directs me, and it corrects me. So they've been reading the word of God. They've been uh, weeping because they probably had sin in their life, and it showed them their sin, and and yet they're told to go eat fat and eat all the things that mom wouldn't let you eat. And they celebrate for seven days. And then we see this change coming in Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah 9 verse 1. After seven days of celebration, it says, Now on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. What just happened? Go eat the things mama said not to eat, that the doctor certainly said don't go eat. They're celebrating for seven days this old feast of the tabernacles that they had not celebrated as a people since the days of Joshua. They come off this really big high, and the next picture that we see by the time we get to chapter 9 is that they're actually now back on the ground, and they're weeping, but along with the weeping, it describes three things. They were fasting. So they went from a time of eating fat under the instruction to fasting. They went from a time of just being joyous and celebrating to a place of sackcloth. Anybody know what sackcloth is? Yeah. Imagine, I've got to be careful here, your underwear made out of burlap. Okay? Because it was burlap and they would put this on them and, you know, again, they didn't have the same clothing that we have today. So if you can imagine just being dressed in burlap, I mean, all the way down to burlap, but that really wouldn't, you know, you'd be fidgeting right now. You know, you'd be just, you wouldn't be able to get comfortable. And they did this on purpose. The purpose was not so that they would be uncomfortable in life. The purpose was to remind them of the uncomfortableness of their sinfulness. So they're fasting instead of feasting. 
They're wearing, wearing sackcloth, and then it says that they had earth on their heads. Well, what does that mean? Well, they were taking the dust, and it was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of their sinfulness in the Old Testament, and they would take dust, and as they were down here in sackcloth fasting instead of feasting, they would throw dirt on their head. Looks like an entirely different picture than what we saw in chapter 8. What happened? The amazing thing is that the people seem to have come uh, this from their kind of their, uh, their their very soul because they were changed people. The, this mourning, this act of repentance and confession, is not just because they were told to go show that they were sorry. Did you ever do that when you were growing up? Did your parents? I mean, have you ever had to hug your sister or your brother or say that you were sorry? Yeah. You know, when my parents just told me, go tell your sister that you're sorry, that was one thing. But I actually liked it when they said, no, you go give your sister a hug and tell her that you're sorry. Because you would try to dissect your sister with that hug. You know, it was one of those things. There wasn't any love. There wasn't any repentance. There wasn't any change of heart. It's like, but, you know, you just gave me permission to really squeeze my sister really hard and try to hurt her. You know, and that was actually pretty fun. And so it was one of those things that, you know, it wasn't the attitude that was given whatsoever. That's not what's happening here. This is not kind of, okay, go say you're sorry. Tell God you're sorry. Okay, God, I'm sorry. Look at verse 3. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, of the, uh, the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Now, they're talking about the day and not the day and night. They're not talking about 24 hours. They're talking about the 12 hours. So a quarter of the day is what? Three. Three hours. Okay, so they had three hours. They stood and read the word. And then for another quarter of the day, they would have confession. So can you imagine that? Okay, to read the word of God for three hours, to be together in this solemn assembly. It says that they were solemn. Okay, they're having sackcloth on. You have this sackcloth on and you're fidgety. And now you read God's word and you have confession for three hours. But look what is connected to this confession. They made worship and... I'm sorry, they made confession and worshiped their God. Are, are those two things that you usually connect in your mind and your heart? I mean, just honestly, that your confession of your sin and worship. Well, a lot of times, you know, if we sing a confession song, I think there'd be one mood here. And if we sing what we call a worship song, then there'd be another mode of thinking here. And yet what we see here is in God's word and what was happening in the lives of people, that as they were confessing their sin, they were it was actually an act of worship before God. To make confession means one simple thing, guys. Telling the truth. Telling the truth about what? Telling the truth about who God is and about who you are. You might even think about it in a courtroom. That if you went into court and you were to, to be a witness from there and they called you to, to confess or they called you to tell the truth, you know, they throw in there the whole truth and nothing but the truth. In other words... Don't stray over here. Don't give your own kind of inflections upon it. Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Really, 
In simplicity, that's what confession is. That we before a holy God, that we tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Truth about who? Truth about God and, and truth about us. See, reading God's word, it shows what God's truth is. It, it's confession will come from, to our hearts and our minds as we open up God's word. It, it's going to happen, guys. I, I've told you many times before, and I want you to always remember this in daily, daily living. Folks, there is not a safety place. Uh, there's not a Switzerland in spiritual warfare. We are always in spiritual warfare. And we will be until the day that God delivers us and takes us home. So we live in constant warfare. Certainly there are some days that that intensity of battle is heightened, and there's other days that it seems like it's not as heightened. But there is no Switzerland, spiritually speaking, here on earth. There's not a place where, okay, get on the armor of God so that we can go into battle today and that we live a demilitarized zone and we go into a militarized zone. Folks, that's not earth. So please always remember there's three things. Please remember this in spiritual warfare. There's three enemies that are constantly trying to tell us another truth. One, our own fallen nature. Would you admit this morning, would would you agree that there's a part of your old nature, your human nature, not the delivered nature from God, but from your old fallen nature, some people call it the old man, that tells you one thing, and many times that could be in contrary to God's word. Would you agree that that happens in your own mind? Would you admit that it happens in your own heart sometimes? That you get an emotion that God says, okay, here's what my word says, and yet your emotion kind of goes against that. So it shows that one of the enemies we have is just ourselves, our old nature. The second part there is that we live in a fallen world. Would you agree that sometimes you can get a message from the world that we live in that does not agree with the word of God? Yes. And then ultimately there's that third one. It's someone that we most often think of and someone that we blame the most, and that is Satan himself. He's the deceiver. He's the father of lies. Folks, when we understand, when we wake up in the morning, our default is that we're not going to be, that we're going to be surrounded with a lot of untruth and that we need to go into the day with truth. I told the guys last Sunday night at, at men's meeting, we were still looking at Nehemiah and, and I said, guys, imagine every day, imagine every day for the rest of your lives that you wake up and that you are going across a desert and that the word of God is that cup of cool water. We're not in Disneyland, guys. Well, that could be a whole other sermon there. Um, uh, I didn't mean to contextualize that in modern day. Okay, but we're, we're not at some theme park. Okay, we're, we're not. We're in a war zone, and part of the battle is right here inside of me. My own fault, my own fallenness, surrounded in a fallen world with other people that are fallen in a culture that has fallen, and then I have this deceiver, this. This one who wants to bring accusation against the brother, it says in the word, one of Satan's title. Well, Bobby, we might as well just give up. No, we have the word of God and the spirit of God, and that will give us the power of God. But it will be a battle, guys. Don't fool yourselves that it's not a battle. So the first things that we begin to see here is that they open up the word of God and begin to see that it brings conviction to their heart. Making confession, telling the truth about ourselves and about the holiness of God keeps us from making excuses. Here's how you and I will approach tomorrow 
and our sinfulness and, and the things in our nature, okay? Here's how we will approach. We will do one of two things. And, and we'll do this back and forth. I'm not saying that the whole day will either be this lane or this lane. But here's the two things that will be going on. We will either be me- making excuses about our thoughts, behavior, and actions, or we will be making some correction to our thoughts, actions. Does that make sense? And a lot of times, my own old self and Satan and the culture says, oh, that's okay. You be you, Bobby. And the Bible says, no, you don't be you. You be Christ. And I will give you the very Spirit of God to enable you to do this. This is the beauty of God's Word. A steady diet of God's Word will expose excuses in our lives. And it will hopefully lead us to telling the truth. It will expose our view and it will reveal God's view. Question this morning. Do you need that in your life? Do you need the exposure of your view? And do you need very much the revealing of God's view? Well, that's what the Word of God does through the Spirit of God. And folks, there's really nothing else that's going to do that. Uh, again, I, I would say that uh, coming to church and being together with family and discipleship, certainly I'm going to say discipleship is a big part, but nothing does that without this foundation of God's Spirit and His Word. Because that is what revitalizes us. This is what brings transformation to our heart and our minds. Now, quick uh, question to all the parents here. How many of you have the written or the unwritten rule in your house that if your child will just tell the truth, that the end result will be easier for them. Have you ever had that verbiage? Hey, just tell the truth. In the end, you still may have correction and all that, but in the end, just tell the truth. Now, why do you have that rule? You know, it may be as simple as who took the cookie. It may, who broke the lamp? Just tell the truth. Now, why do we think that just telling the truth about that, it, it, the sin's already happened. The cookie's already been eaten. You know, you've already smacked your brother. We're just saying, tell the truth. Why do we think that that's an important exercise? Because that, and somehow, if they tell the truth, confess to the truth, confess to what they did, there's probably a better likelihood of them not doing that again as opposed to making excuses. Would you agree that we use that in parenting for some reason? That we see the wisdom of our kids telling the truth about their sin. If we, as an earthly parent, know how to do that, how much more does our Heavenly Father say, just tell me the truth? The other thing is, even when we pretty much know that our child did it. I mean, you've all seen the video. Who ate the chocolate chip cookie? Not me, Mom, and chocolate. I mean, just all over their face. I mean, the evidence is there. I mean, it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to figure it out. You're lying, son. But even in those times that we really don't know the full truth and, and, and we want them to give the truth because we see the benefit of admitting truthfully to what they've done, God already knows the truth. Guys, it's not just that we have cookie on our face and chocolate on our face. He already knows everything about it. And, and so yet he tells us to tell the truth. I mean, is there a difference between go tell your sister that you're sorry and give her a big hug 
and truly being sorry and repenting. Isn't it kind of victory day? And, and we don't get a whole bunch of these as parents. But have you ever had your child where they really were broken over their sin? Even a sin that involved their brother or sister? Or something else that was going on? And you're going, yes. 99 defeats. One victory, but I'll take the one victory. For somehow in your heart, in your mind as a parent, you're going, they're going at least for the moment in the right direction. Folks, they open up the word of God here in Nehemiah 9 and, and they begin to, to put on sackcloth and, and ashes and they, they start weeping and, and, and they're fasting. And God doesn't say stop this time immediately. He allows it to go on. Why? Because telling the truth about who we are and our sinfulness, going to the truth about who God is, that he's a loving and patient and gracious God, and that he is going to bring redemption. At this time, it's something that's going to happen. For us, it's something that has happened. It tells us the truth about his love for us and why he brought Christ. Is confession of our sins simply a way to get a brownie point with God? Or is it a maturing factor that's part of our spiritual discipline in life that as God reveals sin in our life, that we go to him because we recognize that he is a forgiving God. I'm not trying to make grace cheap. I'm not trying to say, oh, you can just do something and then say, God, forgive me for that. No, that's not repentance. That's not a change of heart or mind. And what we see here in this confession is that they had a changed heart and mind. They truly were that one occasion when your child goes, Mom, I'm so sorry that I did that. And you see that it's genuine and and earnest. And you're going, yes, this is what we've been working for. Why? Because you want that maturity in your child. Guys, we're not preaching cheap grace. Just go and do it and then ask God for forgiveness. Now, that's not a changed mind. and It's not a changed heart. But true confession, telling the truth about our sin before a holy God, leaning upon the finished work of Christ as the answer for our sinfulness brings pleasure to our God. In the same way that it brings pleasure to you when you see true repentance in your child. Something clicked. Something's going in the right direction. So this confession thing, something that, you know, that we begin to, to think of it in such a negative sense that we would confess our sins. No, it's actually something that the Word of God allows to happen in our lives so that we can truly come to a place where in, in the finished process, if you want to call it, there's going to be maturity. And I, and I promise you guys, nothing quite does that like the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is what? Living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and marrow, and look at that last part, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Had this weird thought the other day. How much would you pay 
to have what goes on in your mind and your heart not to be revealed to the ones around you? Is it scary what goes on in your heart and your mind sometimes? I mean, number one, you would not want me as your pastor. I mean, I'm being serious, guys. Can we follow a guy like that? He just thought of that. He just thought of this. Isn't it scary to think that's really what's deep within us? And part of maturity is not always letting out what's in. Does that correct it? No. Sometimes as we get older, you maybe have seen this, and no, it doesn't apply to anybody here. <laughs> but as we get older, we lose our ability to uh, have filters. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever experienced that? 93-year-old lady comes up and she just tells you. It's like, use a filter, lady. Come on. You know, we know that's the truth, but. And so part of this masking that we do in our humanity is it's going on in the heart and it's going on in the mind. And yet somehow we know it's not great just to let it out there. At the same time, have we dealt with what's inside? Does that make sense? That just because you didn't say it didn't mean that it was affecting you. What did Jesus say? When they were talking about adultery, they were talking, the, all the Pharisees were going down this long list. And he says, you've heard it been said, but I tell you. And he used just common everything day things. He said, not to commit adultery. I tell you that you commit adultery when you think of, of with lust in your heart. So in other words, Jesus said, it's not just what comes out. But it's what, what lies within. It's really dangerous there. What did he say? Okay, if you've, I had somebody this, did this to me one time. Pastor, I thought it, so I went ahead and just did it. I'm going, no, 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 no. That's not what he's saying there. You know. You know, just because it's in here doesn't mean that we let it out because somehow there's the same penalty. I promise you, if I thought about robbing the bank, it is different than if I went and robbed the bank. Okay? Somehow the police officer would just see it differently. But I still have to deal with the thought that's in my heart and mind. And that's what the Word of God does. That's what it says here in Hebrews. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now listen real close, guys, because God's Word has the power to expose excuses. And when the Word of God begins to expose the excuses that we make, well, that's just the way I am. My mama was like that. Her mama was like that. Yeah, ever since Adam, there's been hereditary sin, okay? I'll give you that. But then God gives us Jesus to break hereditary sin in our lives, guys. And this is the hope of the gospel. That the man that I was does not have to be the man that I am. But that God can give me a brand new way of life. This is the most redeeming part of the gospel is that we're not, all things have become new. We're brand new creations in Christ. So that's just an excuse when we fall back to, well, you know, my daddy was that way. He was hot-tempered and hard-headed. His, my granddaddy was, and I guess I just got it from them. In a way you did, in a way you did. But you don't have to stay there. 
What if your grandmother didn't know Jesus and your mother and father didn't know Jesus? Is this not glorious that you can know Jesus and that you can start a generation of faithful followers in Jesus Christ? Is this not the, the, the beauty of the gospel? And so this confession, even though we think of it as, as a negative thing, guys, I want you to know this is something that God has given to us so that we actually can live free lives. Because here's what's going to happen when we're in the Word of God and the Spirit of God begins to convict us of something, okay? Not condemn us for something, if we're a Christian. Christ has taken our condemnation, but convict us. Big difference. We'll have a whole other sermon on that sometime because it's a really important point. But when conviction comes, here's one of two lanes that we're going to take. Withdrawal or worship. We're going to want to run away from God and withdraw. Withdraw from the church. Withdraw from men's group or ladies group. Withdraw from this. It's just one of those reactions that when we begin to have this conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, that we just kind of withdraw. The other one will be worship. And to join other people that are worshiping and telling the truth about their own sinfulness and their need for a Savior and the sufficiency of this one that we call Jesus Christ. Withdrawal, we stop reading, listening, participating. Worship, we tell the truth about who God is and who we are. Which way did these people go in Nehemiah 9? Look at verse 6. You tell me, is this worship or is this withdrawal? You are the Lord, you alone. You've made heaven, the heavens of heaven, with all the host and the earth and all that is in on them, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. They begin to talk about the greatness of God, the majesty of God. Their prayer is a confession telling the truth, and it continues all the way down. If you notice that verse 6 starts a prayer and, and it ends in verse 37. And we're not going to go line by line, verse by verse. But please go back and read that. Because basically what Ezra is praying there is he goes back to the word of God. And he starts in Genesis. And he starts talking about all the things that God has done. And he's not talking about just the great things that God has done in creation But he talks about, even when you did these great things, God, here's what we did sometimes. For example, uh, look down at verse 9 and 11. This is a good example of the case that he's making. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all of his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is today. Remember? Red Sea opens up. They go across on dry land. He said, God, you did this. This is who you are. Now look at verse 11. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the death as a stone into mighty waters. God, you delivered us. Verse 13 and 14. You came down on Mount Sinai. This is what follows. And spoke with them, the heavens and earth, the right rules and true laws Good statutes and commandments. He said Moses goes up. Remember, he goes up to the hill. God gives him the commandments. And what do they call it? You, you gave us the right rules, the true laws, the good statutes. And you may know to them your holy Sabbath and commanded the commandments and the statutes and the law by Moses, your servant. 
They remembered all God's good commandments. Verse 16 and 17. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commands. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their necks and appointed a leader to return to, to slavery in Egypt. Did they go back to Egypt? No. We went back to our former way of life. What are they doing when Moses is up on the hill receiving the commandments of God? These right commandments, true laws, good statutes. Worshiping a going. They mention that. What are they just doing? A review of history? No, they're telling, this is who you are, God. And this is who we are. And yet, God, you're a redeeming God. You're a patient God. You're a loving God. See there in verse 17? Let's go back to 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commands. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but have stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Period. But the verse continues. Verse 17 has an A part. And a B part. And what does 17B say? But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. And for the next 20 verses, they go through this whole cycle again. Our sinfulness, your holiness, and yet you have redeemed us. Let's finish this morning with verse 30 and 31. Many years you bore with them and warmed them by your spirit through the prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the people of the lands. That's what had just happened. The, the Babylonians came in and took them into their lands. And, and for 70 years they were captives in a foreign land under foreign leaders. Verse 31, what's the first word? Nevertheless. And here's the kind of stiff Net people we are. Here's the kind of rebellious people we are. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Cheap grace, just go and do it. Hey, this is who we are. We're just sinful people. And then run to God and say, God, forgive us. No, this is not the attitude of a mature Christian, guys. By getting to the Word of God, it does expose our sinfulness. But as the Spirit of God begins to show us our sinfulness, it will lead to confession. And confession isn't always one of those things that just feels good. I mean, to admit your wrongness doesn't really feel good, but God leads it to a place where, number one, we have the maturity sometimes, just as you would with your children, that hopefully there's a maturing and that you won't do that again or you won't take it lightly. And then number two, we begin to see the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Please understand this morning, this is your only hope. Christ is your only hope. And God uses His Word through His Spirit to, even after our salvation, to call us back into right living. Condemnation is now gone from me, guys. Romans 8, 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He's paid the total amount. And yet, do I still contend with sin? Do I still have three voices every single day? 
one my own, one my culture, one Satan himself and the demonic forces. They're saying, ah, it's not that bad. Ah, oh, this is, everybody's doing it. Whatever the case may be. Every day I go into battle. Every day you go into battle. And there's two ways as we come into the word of God that it begins to correct our bad thinking. The way of withdrawal, and I just don't want to hear that. Or the way of worship. So, okay, God, yes, I, I have offended you. I, I've, I've sinned against you. Remember the prodigal son? I've sinned against God. Remember David and sin? Nathan comes down. There's no repentance in David's life. It looks like there's been months and months and months. There's no repentance. God in his mercy and grace sends a prophet. We can say that his word by his spirit. And what does David say? David says at that point, I've sinned against God. But did he stay there? This is the hope of the gospel, guys. I know confession is one of those hard subjects that, you know, to confess our sins, to talk about sins. I, I realize it's like, oh man, let's go back to that encouraging message. Let's go back to, you know, just all the good things that God does. No, confession is a part of the natural life. Why? Because sin is a part of our not lives, guys. If you learn how not to sin, please share. I'll, I'll let you preach next week. I, I promise you. Because I want to know. I want to sit right there and take notes laboriously so that I can find out. how. And, and yet, what I have found is I still have to contend with this old nature. I promise you guys, I do not want you to see what goes on in this head, in this heart sometimes. It is ugly. It is selfish. It is prideful. It is arrogant. The last thing I need in my life is somebody saying, well, you be you. No, I need somebody to say, you be like Christ. And the very Spirit of God will enable me through his power and through his word and his correction to give me strength that is not my own, to live more and more like Christ. The word of God is so important because it will show us this truth. Lead to confession, but it doesn't end at this morning, sackcloth and ashes. No, the redeeming God says, you are my son. I chose you. I adopt you. I know everything about you. And I still would go and send my son to die for you. This is our hope. So don't just look at half the story. Don't just look at, well, confession. That's really kind of a negative thing. Now look what confession leads to here for these people. It led to worship. Because as they found out the truth about themselves, they found out the truth about God. That was Ezra's prayer. Yeah, at the same time you're getting my holy word, my good and right word, you're down there worshiping a cow. I've always wondered, why a cow? I mean, make something a little bit more exciting than a cow. And yet they're doing this. Would God have been right to just throw a lightning bolt and be done with the Jewish people? And yet he is a covenant keeper, even when we are covenant breakers. And he continued the line so Christ would be born. And you and I today would have the hope that we have, but only in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, this whole idea of confession, we don't see it as a really... 
the positive side of that. And yet, as we see these people who had not heard your word and Father been under your word for so long, 70 years in exile, and they come back and they begin to, to be people of your word. And, and Father, what we see, it does pro- produce a conviction in their hearts and their lives uh, of the things that they were doing that were unrighteous. And, and Father, we're not for your glory. But instead of just kind of burning them right there and leaving them in their sin, Father, Ezra begins to pray about how, what a faithful God you are. So, Father, help us to have those times on our knees. Thank you that we don't have to wear sackcloth anymore. Father, I, I so thank you for that. But, Father, give me an attitude and a mindset of repentance. Help me tell the truth about my sin and sinfulness so that I come running to you because you are my redeemer. You are my hope. You are my victory. And without you, Father, I'm left in my sin. So, Father, help us to learn the beautiful part of confession so that we can be people that are led to worship. We love you and we thank you as we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook. Facebook.